so much you may be seated the, the big question that is often asked in life is what is success or what is the secret of success but when it comes on to defining success i think it depends on who you ask if you're going to ask someone in hollywood they would say a pretty face and the perfect physique is a secret to success how you look and your shape and your style and all of those things that that's what hollywood would say if you go to Wall Street, that probably the financial capital of the world, they would say to you that success is measured by your financial clout and it is measured by the leverage you have because of the finances you have. But, but are these things really true success? And what is God's idea of success? How do we determine if we are successful in God's eyes? And that's one of the most important questions. If, 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 if you were asked, are you successful in God's eyes, what would your response be? And based on what do you determine that success? If someone asks you, tell me why you are successful in God's eyes, what would your answer be? And from scriptures this morning, I'm hoping that we'll be able to find those answers so we begin to seek godly success. And not just the kind of success that the world wants us to believe that is real success. The truth is, culture has shaped our thinking. And when you look at a person's family, the car that they drive, the house they live in, the community they live in, the status of their life, oftentimes we say that they are successful. Most of us see a business driving and we say a successful businessman do you know having a business that is making profit does not define a life that is successful i've seen many businessmen making profit but losing their families amen i've seen many people aspire and achieve high levels of education but mentally and emotionally they are unstable I've, I've seen many people in high and influential position and they struggle with addiction to some things so what is the true measure of this godly success when you look at scriptures scripture teaches that character is the bottom line when it comes on to godly success character is the bottom line now where is that from now you have to understand what character is character is who you are when no one is watching your character is who you are when no one is watching you It is the willpower to do what is right, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances. I choose to do the right thing, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances. Your character is different from your reputation. Your character can change, but oftentimes your reputation don't. And God don't measure you by your reputation, because your reputation sometimes is something you bring from your past. Your character though must change. And let me give you like Paul, for example, had a reputation of doing what? Persecuting the church. 
Do you know that even when Paul got saved and was preaching the gospel, people still were afraid of him? Because he was known for persecuting the church. But his character had changed. So you can have a reputation as a whomever, but you receive Jesus Christ and that reputation follows you. But your character must change. Because God is not measuring your life based on your reputation. God is measuring your life based on your character. There you go. And that is why the scripture says, let's go back to our first the, the text. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Now, I didn't say this in the first service. But you know that in the first, the first king that was appointed, that the people, the people said, listen, we want a king like the other nation. Because remember, God was their king. And they said, listen, no, no, we want a king that we can see, we can touch, we can feel, we can talk to, like the other nations. This thing that God is working, not working out. We, we want somebody right here. And God, you're in heaven, we want a king. We, we want a king. And God said, all right. And there was this guy called Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He said, he, the, the scripture said, he was tall, dark, and handsome. Well, the dark part wasn't in it. But he was, he was tall and handsome, right? And he stood above everybody else. And that is how he was appointed. In other words, they looked at his outward appearance and he was appointed. Now we come to the king that God appointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. In other words, God is making a complete opposite choice. When you compare Saul... With David. Because I have refused him. So he, here it is that. Now he's looking at all the other sons of Jesse. And he says no not him. No not him. No not him. I refuse them. Then he says. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. So it is not your circumstances. It's your character that matters when it comes on to godly success. It's not your circumstances. It's your character that matters. If you want to make your life count, if you want to be successful in God's eyes, it is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your heart. So today we're going to look at David, one of the greatest men or men who ever lived. David was a king, he was a shepherd, he was a poet and a general. He wrote most of the Psalms we have recorded for us in the Bible. He united the kingdom. David was a giant killer. He, he had an incredible lineup of achievements. But God wasn't impressed with any of those things. David destroyed bears. He wasn't ordinary in terms of his accomplishments. But God wasn't looking at those things to say, Oh, I'm impressed with David the giant slayer. He didn't say, I'm impressed with David the beer killer. I'm impressed with David the harp player. All those things were good things. But that is not what impressed God about David. So Acts tells us, what really impressed God about David? It was David's heart. All those things are good, but the thing that God wants to be impressed with the most is our hearts. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David, asking, To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so there are four life tests to determine if we need heart surgery. And David had to go through these four tests. Right? You have the sin test, the stress test, the service test, and the success test. So today what we are going to do, we are going to compare how David handled these things and how we handle them. Because how we handle them will determine if we will experience godly success. So let's look at the first test all of us face. It's called the sin test. Dealing with the sin test, David had what we call a repentant heart. If you are going to have godly success, you're going to have to pass the sin test. If you can't pass the sin test, you're not going to enjoy godly success. The sin test is like tier one. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You understand when scripture is telling you that it is really implying. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are more for you than they are against you. No weapon from the, all of these scriptures are speaking to the fact that, listen, we have a power that gives us the ability to live over the power of sin on our lives. And that begins with having a repentant heart. We spoke about this last week. It's not just running away from sin, it's also running to God. This warrior, this man of men, this leader of nation, David had a tender, repentant heart. When David blew it, David admitted it. Come on, tell your neighbor, when you blow, when you blow it, admit it. Tell him, say, don't hide it. Don't deny it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't rationalize it. In fact, people like to rationalize. I always tell them you're telling rational lies. When you sin, you have to admit it. That's his first process of repentance. Admit it. Admit it. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. Don't make excuses for it. Admit it. Why? 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 Why do I admit it? Because if I don't admit it, I'm going to continue sinning. The sin you hide is the sin you do. The more you hide it, the more you do it. Because the only way to deal with sin is to expose it. So God can deal with it. If you hide it, listen, it's going to get exposed anyways. So it's better you expose it. So the love of God can cover the multitude of your sins. Don't make excuse for it. And let me help you. I'm just, I'm just going to help you and then we'll move on. The sin that we do is the sin that we love. And you enjoy it. So you make excuse to do it. Any sin you hate, you're not going to do. I, I can tell you, some of you don't have a, a struggle. You don't get up every day saying, Man, <laughs> oh jeez, man, I just want to kill somebody today. Like, like who next? Who next to me kill? 
You, you don't get up like that. Many don't get up every day and say, boy, I can't wait. Which one of them animal Which Which dog? Which donkey? You don't, the bestiality is not a problem for you. Homosexuality is not a problem for you. But you, you know what to think about? Which one of them hot ladies that we can get? Because there's a part of us that enjoy the sin that we are tempted by. And because you enjoy it and a part of you like it, you keep on doing it. You keep on making excuses for it. The only way to stop it is to hate it. Come on, tell your neighbor. The only way to stop it is to hate it. And I'm going to tell you again. The sin you don't do is the sin that you hate. The sin you do is the sin that you love. Here David dealt with his sin. Psalm 51, 1 to 3. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. This is David's prayer of confession after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He lays all the cards on the table. David said, I blew it. David said, it was wrong. He didn't say, it was a mistake. He didn't say, Lord, you see, bad. if she just go bed in her bathroom with a God, this wouldn't happen. He never made any excuse. He never said, Lord, if my wife that take care of me, then we are there, see you next woman. He didn't say, God, if you don't want me, if you don't want me to love that woman, why you make them so look so good? He didn't make any excuse. He admitted it. He is honest to God and that's the first characteristic of a heart after God. Listen, if you, if, if, if you can't be honest with God, you can't have godly success. It's very simple. How many of you would really entrust more to a dishonest person? If you know that a person is dishonest, are you still going to give them more? As men, we won't. So why would God entrust a dishonest person with godly success? We have to be honest. David also proves that you don't have to be perfect to have a heart after God. He was a great sinner, but he was also great at repenting. David was great at, listen, this is wrong. I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a U-turn. And I'm going to go in a complete different direction. I'm making a 180. And that's it. Listen, we have to get to that place. Not just to say we are sorry. But godly repentance. Godly sorrow. The scripture says leads to repentance in our sorrow it leads to change there must be a change of life you don't have to be perfect to have a heart after god you just have to be great at repenting when you sin you turn away from sin you turn to god you admit you confess 
And you stop making excuses. You stop hiding it. You stop denying it. You stop rationalizing. David said in Psalm 51 verse 17, The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. David believed in a forgiving God. He learned to focus more on God's forgiveness than he did on his own failures. And that's why God says, He's a man after my own heart. I don't, I don't focus on my failures. I focus on the forgiving God that I serve. If I focus on my failures, I'm going to fail. Because you're becoming what your life is focused on. I, I, I choose to focus on God. Because that's, that's my aspiration. Whatever your life is focused on is what you're coming. You, you ever, you, you ever, have, have you ever heard you're what you think? Amen? Listen, if your eyes and your heart and your mind are on a thing, after a while you're going to start practicing. So I keep my eyes on the Lord. I set my mind on Him. Because that's who I want to be like. Amen? The thing is that Satan has conned many of us into thinking, because of my past, God can never use me. Because of my past, I'll never amount to anything great in the kingdom of God. I want you to know that God still used Samson. God still used Jacob after he stole his brother's birthright. God used Saul who was turned to Paul. God used a donkey. God used a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. If God, God used Rahab. God used a servant girl to say to Naaman, go and talk to the man of God. No matter what your past is, don't let the enemy fool you that your reputation has expelled you. From God's use. All you need to do. Is to repent. And turn. To God. If God can use. David. He can use. Anybody. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to. Be sincere. Repent. And admit it. When you're wrong. So evaluate your heart this morning. Compare it to David's heart. How do you react when you sin? Do you deny it? Do you excuse it? Do you rationalize it? If that is the case, give yourself a one. Do you repent immediately? Give yourself a ten. God says when it comes to sin... A person after my heart has a repentant heart. So the question is this morning. Do you have a repentant heart? Do you hate sin so much that any sin that you sin, once you've come to God and confessed that and asked his forgiveness, you begin to start the life change 
to turn away from it and turn to God. The second test you'll have to pass if you want to walk in godly success is the stress test. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, get past the sin thing because that is not the problem. Get to the stress thing because right now, me stress. I doubt one day I want you to talk about Because life, listen, I don't know, but life is just, life is, in fact, we, we have a stress epidemic going on in our culture. I mean, stress is just everywhere. Stress is like searching for you. Like, like it's you to searching for. You ever feel like, like, what, why me, man? Like, it's keep past everybody in your house. You trying to stay away from it. And it's you, stress are fine. Like, like, stress is like that. You think you're, you're happy and just stress just passed by. And everything changes. So people are stressed out. All of us at some point have dealt with stress. And, and listen, we, we all have this complaint when we, with some people. And we like to say to them, stop. Stop. Come on, man. Stop stress me. But we know that we never stress out anybody else. But it's always people stressing us out. Alright, if you're beside your relatives, don't look to the left or to the right. <laughs> Just look straight ahead, right? To deal with stress, you have to trust in God. Trust in God will reduce stress in life. If you want to deal with stress in life, you have to begin to trust in God. If you trust in God, you will have less stress. Because the main cause of stress is distrust in God. The people who are more stressed are trusting God is are trusting God less. So right now, if you have a stress, the scripture says in Peter, cast your cares upon him. Cast 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 your cares. Cast your stress upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. In fact, in the gospel, he says, Give him your burden, your heavy burden, because his burden is light. Give him your yoke, your hard yoke, for his yoke is easy. So he's saying, God is saying, Listen, trust me to deal with it. Because if you trust God, you won't be stressed. Come on, tell a neighbor. If you trust God, you won't be stressed. And then say to him, when you are stressing, it's because you're not trusting God. So anybody stressed right now? I know you're not going to put up your hand, but I, I, I can't tell by the look in your face. I'm talking to the online people, right? I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the online people. <laughs> right? So few people though experience more stress than David. In fact, David said, in my distress, this is Psalm 118, 5 to 6. David said, in my distress, Psalm 118, 5 to 6. In my distress. Look at these next words. It says, I prayed to the Lord. David said, in my distress, what do I do? So whenever we have stress, what is the first thing we ought to do? Not get more stress. When you see stress coming, guess what you do? You go on your knees. Have you ever heard about stress relief? 
What do they give you for that? Medication and massage? Here is the answer in the scripture. If you want to be relieved of your stress, fall on your knees. That's scriptural and biblical stress relief. Not a massage. Says, then he says, and the Lord answered me and rescued me. In other words, the Lord rescued me from my distress. Then he says this, the Lord is for me. So I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? David said, listen, I, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid. God is for me. I am not afraid. I'm trusting in him. And don't think this was some lightweight thing that was happening to David. Because very few people have stress as intense as David. Have you ever had stress in your life? I have. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, all of us have, right? And some of the times you think like, oh, this thing is so stressful. Come on, man, talk to me. It is so stressful. Like, uh, people, people say their kids are stressing them out. They say their spouse, are, and you ask them, so what is the problem? Well, every time they go into the bathroom, they don't put down the seat. It's just stressing me. Why do they squeeze the toothpaste from the top and in the middle when they don't squeeze it from? It's stressing me out. Why they leave plate in the sink and just wash it? This is stressing me out. Why you don't spread the bed? It's stressing me out. Why you don't put your shoes where your shoes are supposed to go? Your socks where your socks are supposed to go? It's stressing me out. Like, 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 that's, that's not real. That's, 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 that's bogus stress. Listen, whenever they say anything like that, just say to them, trust. When they ask you about the toothpaste, say. When they bring up the toilet seat, say. The dish in the sink, say. The shoes all over the place, eh? Let me give you a real stress. Alright? Let me give you a real stress. Because David had real stress. David had constant war. And I mean real war with his neighboring nation. David had to fight giants. David had to run from Saul and hide in caves for years. He had... Incredible family problems. David's family was an absolute mess. David had one son who raped his own daughter. Then he had a next son who killed the son who raped his daughter. Then he had another son who rebelled against him and took the throne and took over his palace. And that son was then killed. David had a lot more stress and tragedy in his life than us. So when you read about David, you think you should really complain about dirty dishes? And say you're stressed? Use stuff like that to quantify us not trusting in God? David 
David said, listen, when all of these things are happening, I pray, I trust, and I keep moving forward in the Lord. In fact, he wrote the following words under a time of great stress in his life in Psalm 62, from verse 5 to 8. And at this time, David is going through immense pressure from every side. And everything was designed to stress him out. Because if you stay stressed so long, you know, you're going to get depressed. The longer you stay stressed, is the greater your chances of being depressed. And depression is not just an emotion. Depression is a spirit. David says, I wait quietly before God. When everything is going chaotic, David said, listen, listen. Whoa, whoa. I wait quietly before God. My hope is in him. My hope is not in a person or in a thing or a system. My hope is in the Lord. David says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress where I will not be shaken. Everything may be shaking around me. I'm not getting stressed. I'm waiting quietly before my Lord. For I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor come from God alone. He is my refuge. A rock where no enemy can reach me. David is here saying, listen, listen, listen. Like, like you're at the workplace and people trying to come at you. David says, listen, the Lord is my rock. And when I'm in the Lord, when I'm trusting in the Lord, no enemy can reach me. You feel like your neighbor and people are coming against you. David says, listen, I don't allow those things to stress me out. I trust in the Lord. The Lord becomes my rock. And when I'm in the Lord, no enemy can reach me. He says, oh my people. He says, oh my people, trust in him at all times. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, say to your neighbor, the Lord says, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is your refuge. That's the word of the Lord. When things seem like they are tumbling down and they are falling apart, David says, trust in the Lord at all times. David said, this is the time not to pour out Jesus, pour out your life in your circumstances. He says, no, 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 pour out your heart to God. Why? For God is your refuge. God is your keeper. He is your present help in times of trouble. So how do I deal with stress? I trust in the Lord. The courage is in the absence of fear. Courage is moving on in spite of the fears. You know, David said, God is my rock. God is my salvation. God is my fortress. When I'm under stress, David says, I trust God. When we are under stress, we need to have a trusting heart. One that knows that no matter what this life brings I still have a father in heaven who cares for me. No matter what storm cloud comes, I have a savior. I have an anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ. So evaluate yourself on this one. What is my response to stress? Do I have an anxious heart? Do I have a doubtful heart? Give yourself a one or a or a trusting heart, you give yourself a 10. Do, do, you, do you get anxious? Or do you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? The scripture says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer 
and supplication. Let your request be known unto the Lord. I pray about it. I don't stress about it. Come on, tell your neighbor. Start praying about it. And stop stressing about it. I want you to know that. You see that thing that, that you make stress in you? It's nothing. It's nothing compared to what others have gone through. Would you rather trade what you have gone through now for what Joseph had in his life? The first thing we must do when we come under stress is to pray like David did. So we have the sin test. We need repentant heart. We have the stress test. We have trust in heart. We need to have trust in heart. The third test is the service test. And to pass the servant, the service test, we need, like David, a servant's heart. said this this morning like the, the core of the Christian faith is service one of the core principles why because Jesus Christ said for the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many when the disciples were jostling for position he said the greatest among you is a servant of all. The real essence of your Christian faith begins when you begin to serve. It's hard for you to really express all that the kingdom of God represents without living a life of humble service for the kingdom of God. And that is why serving in ministry is important. I said this this morning and I'll say it again. You need to serve out of position. So when you get in position, you continue serving. If you wait for a position to serve, when you get the position, you won't serve. You see, the people who get promoted are the people who serve. People don't promote you so that you can start serving. Because people know that the best person to do the work is the person who is doing the work. I, I'll use my life as an example. And so I kind of one of those who grew up in church on the rock. And so, with the exception of praise and worship between church on the rock, Kingston, and, and Ocherius, I've served in every ministry. From evangelism to prayer to children's ministry to youth ministry to dan dance ministry to drama ministry to sports ministry to helping hands ministry to sound ministry. I mean to clean church ministry to maintenance ministry. I've served in every ministry. Because if something needed to be done, I figured that I can do it. I was Mr. Available. Because I realized that the greatest ability you can have is availability. Lord, I'm available. And if I avail myself, God will give me the ability. So the thing that I've, I've grown to do, listen, all I did was avail myself. I wasn't the best at speaking, but, but every time they needed somebody to talk, right there. 
They need somebody to teach your kids. So just give me the material. And I mean, I avail myself. And God gave me the ability. See, David was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. His desire was always, I want to do God's will more than anything else. David said, the, the scripture said, God said this of David. David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart. For he will do everything I want him to. We must be willing to do everything that God wants us to do. Could God say that about you and me? David did everything God asked him to do. Could God say that? Could God say, listen, everything I ask you to do, you do it. So often we are lukewarm in this area of service. We say, get somebody else to do it. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else serve. I don't have time. Everybody is busy doing so much and accomplishing little. It's called the tyranny of the urgent. We pursue the urgent things in life, forgetting the things that are important. I can tell you this, the scripture says, whoever gives up houses and lands and children and brothers, sisters, mother, whatever you give up for God, the scripture says, you'll get it in this life. Double and even more in the life to come. What does that mean? God wants you to take care of your family. So I'm not excusing people working. But if you don't have time for God, you don't have time. Let me say it again. If you don't have time for God, something is wrong in your life. And I mean service for the kingdom of God. Something is wrong. Because it's one devil and he have a lot of time to bother you. So how, you, you must can find time. What does that mean? Does that mean I neglect my family? No. You serve your family. But we must also serve the king of glory. When it comes to serving God in the church, in the, in the living out the, the, the life of Jesus, do we accept responsibility? Are we willing to serve? David wanted to serve God because that was what was going to count in life. He was willing to invest his time and his money in service to God. There's this particular incident where David um, wanted to make a sacrifice in 2 Samuel 24. In fact, the scripture said, I cannot present burnt offering to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So he was about to build this altar to God and Aruna told him that he, he could have the land, he could have the rocks, he could have the cattle and that he didn't have to pay for the whole thing. And David said, no, 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 no. No way. I am not going to give anything to my God that doesn't cost me anything. David says, listen, if God is going to get this, it must cost me something. I will pay the cost for it. Alright, so let me make my point. God don't want leftovers. David said, no way, when it comes to serving God, I don't serve God with freebies. God don't want free time. God wants sacrificial time. God don't want leftover. God wants first time. The best time. Listen. The best time of your day is the time that you devote to God. If that's morning, 
God, you get it. If that's evening, God, you get it. If that's afternoon, God, you get it. You cannot say you're giving God time when you're falling asleep. That's bedtime. If you start praying and fall asleep, that wasn't time to God. That was time for sleep. No, no, no. Let's use a relationship example. Imagine you, your spouse says, listen, oh, we want to spend some quality time together. And I say, all right. Say, all right, and you get home at six. And you hear... I mean, what, what do you think? That, that's sleep time. That's not quality time. Because you're tired. We can't give God time when we're tired and beat out. And say that he is the king of our lives. God must get the best portion of everything we have. Including our life and our service. So I don't serve God when it doesn't cost me. I owe everything to my creator, my savior. I will never offer to the Lord, David said, that which cost me nothing. If you claim to be a Christian, what is it costing you? David said, I am not going to offer, I'm not going to offer the Lord anything that costs me nothing. So if they outlawed Christianity, if they made it illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want you to write this down somewhere. Success always requires sacrifice. Success always requires sacrifice. You check the people who you consider to be successful. The kids who do well in school, they tell you about the time that they have to study. In fact, you know, the heights that great men reached and kept were not attained by, but they while there kept on... T- Hallelujah. It requires sacrifice. So if, if to get your degree, you sacrifice time. Obviously, to walk in godly success, you're going to have to sacrifice something. What are you willing to give up so you can go up? Some of us are... Just stuck in this cycle of mediocrity. We just do enough to, to try and get by. We want to know what is the minimum I can do and still call myself a Christian. What is the minimum I can do and still say I believe in God? God isn't asking for a minimum amount of service. He wants all we have to give. So how do I serve God? Evaluate yourself. Not at all. Give yourself a one. But if you serve him wholeheartedly, give yourself a ten. David was a man after God's own heart because he repented when he sinned. When he was under stress, he turned to God and he trusted him immediately. When he served and he trusted him with wholehearted, wholeheartedly, freely, willingly, and sacrificially, he eventually experienced the fortress. And if you do the first three, the fourth is inevitable. It will come to pass. If you pass the sin test by having a repentant heart, you pass the, the stress test by trusting in the Lord, and you pass the service test by serving the Lord wholeheartedly, 
sacrificial service, then you will have godly success. But success comes with a test as well. And to live in godly success, it means to live in humility. It means you must have a humble heart. You must have a repentant heart, a trusting heart, a heart that is wholeheartedly serving God. And you need to live in godly success with a humble heart. I always tell people that humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because if we don't humble ourselves, then God will humble us. And trust me, you don't want it that way. So my advice is to walk in humility. Because you don't want God to have to humble you. God wants you to be a success. That's God's plan. His plans are to prosper you. Good plans to give you a hope and a future. He wants to use the success he gives you to take you deeper and to build your character more. He doesn't want to just give you success for success sake. God is not planning on giving you house and car and family and all of those things and wealth so that you can, you can go around and, 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 and strut your stuff on people. No, he's doing it so you can get closer to him. Everything that God gives to man is so that man can be in a deeper relationship with him, God, and so that they can love people more. If you receive from the Lord and you're not loving God and you're not loving people, then something is off somewhere. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. In fact, 1 Samuel 18 verse 14 said, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. If you want to live in success, you have to behave wisely. Come on, tell your neighbor, you have to be wise. Now, when we think about wise, many of us believe it is like we're just very clever in what we say. I didn't say clever. I say wise. Because it's not about being clever. Being wise is knowing that there are some things that are right to do, but they are not wise to do. Do you know that it is good to buy clothes, but it's not wise to buy clothes? Sometimes. Amen. Do you know it is good to have what is the nearest, latest iPhone? Jeez, I'm telling you, numbers keep going up. iPhone 14. You know it's good to have one of those, but for some of you it's not wise. Because guess what? You have coarse furniture to pay for. Come on now and, 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 and say, if you buy the iPhone, then coarse going to come and take the sale for. And then you're going to get upset with coarse. So them, them wicked call you pay so much of the money and then could I just allow you? And you're going to cost them and say that they owe you, because, they vex you because I sure you have iPhone. But, but absolute nothing is wrong with having an iPhone. It's just not wise. Do, do you know that if, if you have an addiction problem with, with alcoholic beverages, it's better not to have them, it's wise not to have them in your house? And it's, it's wise not to go to the bar to buy anything at all, not even a soda? It's, it's, it's not wrong to go to the bar to buy yourself a Pepsi. But for you, it is not wise to go to the bar because you're going to put rum in your Pepsi. 
Or Pepsi in your room. I don't know how it works. <laughs> so not everything that is right to do is wise to do. The scripture said, and David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. David was probably one of the most successful men who ever lived. And in, he, after he knocked off Goliath, he became a national hero. His name was known everywhere. And people even wrote songs about him. Saul has slain his thousand. David, his ten of thousands. David were living in this time. Vibes, cartel, and, and alkaline, and all them would be writing songs about David. Big national hero, you know, they do song about Usain Bolt. David would have been bigger than the Usain Bolts of our time. They praised and adored him. The Bible says all Judah and Israel loved David, meaning all 12 tribes were in love with him. He was Mr. Popularity. He could do no wrong. He had one success after another. This is the ultimate test of our hearts. When the money starts rolling, you understand me, and the house get bigger, and the car get nicer, and the clothes them, you understand me, and we have on the bling, and you get a nice position, and everybody else say, yo big boss, general, what a god, yeah man, and you know, you, you can easily write a check, no man, mommy, no worry yourself, see a see hundred thousand US, <laughs> you understand me, all of that, <laughs> start going around, you know, the walk start changing you now, you know. Slow motion thing with a boy. How does that mean? Yeah. Come to church and hey <laughs> Pastor, how you doing man? <laughs> yeah, hope everything is alright. Ah, what what a church need today? Talk to me. All of a sudden. We forget the most important thing. That it's God who brought us here. And if we allow ourselves to become gods in people's eyes, the God who brought us in that place will remove us. So here's why. I don't want to be no bishop. I know elder. Our elder bishop. Our fifth general bishop. Because a title should never make me feel or believe that I'm more than anyone. David understood this. So let me ask, how do you handle praise, success, and material success? Do you spend it all on yourself? How do you handle the good life, easy street? David's response was that he gave all the glory to God. He refused to take credit. He didn't let it go, didn't let it get to his head. So there are few people who can handle adulation and praise in a godly way. A very few people can handle success without it ruining them. Let me tell you something. Jeez, I want you to remember this, right? The reason why some of you don't get it is that if you get it, that would be it for you. Let me say it again. 
The reason why some of us have not gotten it, because if we ever get it, that would be it. And God is saving us and preserving us. So let me ask you, if you got all the money you could ever need today, where will you be next week? What would you be wearing next week? What would you be driving next week? Where would you be living next week? Some of you are more person said that you see the car already in your mind and you see the phone and you see the dress already. You see the shoes already. You see the community already. Because all you can think of is how you're going to spend it on me, on me, on me, on me, on me. How do you handle it when people praise you? When everything is going great, the tendency is to forget God. But look at David's attitude. David says, not to us, O Lord, but to you goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. When they come to you and they, listen, because people will do that. People begin to praise you and make you, they, they want you to, let me tell you how it works. They, they, they make you believe that you are their gods. And you have to say to them, stop. Stop, stop. All the glory goes to God. Your pastor shouldn't be a God. Your boss shouldn't be a God. Let God be a God. Let God be a God. Don't make a person of power be a God. Or people with money be a God. Let God be your God. And when people try to elevate us into the God status, we say stop it. All the glory belongs to God. Church, let me tell you this. The thing that I've accomplished in my life is not because of my university degree. It's because of God. So the glory belongs to Him. It's not wrong to have the degree, but the degree hasn't propelled me to where I am. It is God who brought me here. So the glory belongs to Him. David gave all the glory and the credit to God. He didn't let it get to his head. When everybody was praising him, he was saying, God, you get all the glory. You get all the credit. David had a humble heart. So evaluate yourself. How do you handle success? When things are going great, do you tend to pray less? When everything is fine and wonderful, do you let the spiritual disciplines slip? You get away from God. You start thinking life is pretty good. You have done it on your own. How do you handle it? When you get that promotion... Do you have a hearty heart or a humble heart? Do you tend to believe your own press releases? What do you do when it gets to you? I share this with the first service. Let, let, let me just close this out because of time and then I'll share it at the end. It's amazing to me that these four qualities are, are the very qualities that most people overlook when they are looking for a great person. People don't look for people with repentant heart. They don't look for the humble. They don't look for people who are serving God wholeheartedly. They don't look for, you know, the people who are trusting in God in the chaos of life. They don't look for humility. They don't look for the servant heart. They don't look for the repentant heart. 
but the very qualities that most people overlook in others when they are looking for greatness are the exact same qualities that God looks for when he says that's a great person that's a person after my own heart that's a person who's got it together and God is still looking for people with great hearts if God did an x-ray on your heart what would it reveal would it reveal a repentant heart or would your heart say it wasn't really my fault it was somebody else's fault it's not that bad or will your heart say no it was wrong i'm sorry and i'm changing and that's a sign of a repentant heart would it reveal a trusting heart or would it reveal an anxious heart god i'm trusting you in the situation i don't know where my money is coming from but i'm going to trust you in the situation i don't know but i am going to trust you i'm going to trust you lord i don't know how it's going to work out but i'm going to trust you when it comes to service would it reveal a servant's heart or let somebody else do it i don't have time to help i'm too busy when things are going great do you say lord it's all from you and i'm grateful and i'm humbled by it or do you say it's me and look what i've accomplished see god is looking for people to use think one of my biggest frustration just in life and it happens even when i come to church is come to church on sundays and when i speak to friends and family and when i look at people even today as i look at your faces and i'm thinking this person and this person and this person that you're on the edge of greatness spiritually that god could use you in such a great way and i know you may feel like well but i'm not educated enough i'm not intelligent enough i'm not rich enough um listen god can take your nothing and turn it into something it doesn't matter don't despise the day of small beginning i know it may not seem to you or feel to you like you can but we have this treasure in earthen vessels the scripture speaks of the holy spirit in you will cause you to do more than you could ever imagine i know poverty is not an excuse because the story is told of the two brothers in germany who started a company called adidas and one name was adi drasler that's where they get adidas from adi and then the rest of the name so he and his brother they were poor and they started manufacturing adidas shoes in their father's barn they took old stuff in there and they started making shoes the company got so big that both brothers had to split and one kept adidas and the other one now run puma and they started from a barn what's the point it doesn't matter where 
you're at right now. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could have asked, think, or imagine. There's still greatness in you. There's still untapped potential. God can still do miracle signs and wonders through you if you avail yourself to him. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want you to think about all the possibilities. Listen, there are persons who, I said this in the first service, there are persons who can't write as good as you. And they have written more books than you have done. There are persons who, they are not as educated as you and they have greater educational achievements. They've begun and started life with less than you started and they have accomplished a whole lot more. Nothing is too hard for the Lord and nothing is impossible with Him. I don't care if you're 50, if you're 60, if you're 90. Caleb at 80 says, Lord, give me my mountain. God is still able. But we need a repentant heart, a trusting heart, a heart that is wholly set out to serve the Lord. And we need a humble heart. So right there as you're you're sitting, just begin to pray. Listen, if there's sin, you admit it, you acknowledge it, and you say, Lord, I repent. If you have stress issues and things are stressing you out and you are stressful, just say, Lord, I refuse to stress and I commit to trusting you right now. I will be anxious for nothing but in everything to prayer and supplication I let my request be known. Prince the Lord, I am ready. I am available to serve you, to do all your will. Whatever you ask me to do, I'm ready to do. So Lord, I choose to walk in humility as you bring godly success in my life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and while you just stay right there just just keep praying every sin just a lot I repent I repent I repent I turn away from sinful living God and I run to you I will trust in you with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding in all my ways I will acknowledge you 
so you can direct my path. this morning. This is one of the greatest hindrances to godly success in our lives. It's the fact that so many of us have issues of sin that consistently plague us. And so, maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. Or maybe you need to commit your life to the Lord this morning because there can be there will be no success without a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so if you have never received him or you want to recommit your life to him right where you are just, just all you have to do is just by faith believe and with your mouth confess just say Heavenly Father I confess this morning, today, that I am a sinner needing forgiveness. So forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner needing a Savior. So save me, Lord. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. I believe in your son Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. He was buried and now he's resurrected and seated at your right hand. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. You're able to keep that which I've entrusted to you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Listen, just stand with me as we close. And I want you to just lift your hands. Listen, I'm going to pray God's success over your life. There's a third song that we did this morning. It says, mountains are still being moved. Lord, we believe it. to lift your hands by faith this morning because I believe that in you this morning lies great godly success there's way more that God demands from your life than you're exhibiting right now I know you have many things you want to do but there are greater things that God wants you to do and he has called you to his kingdom for such a time as this and all the changes in your life is because of this one thing. 
God wants you to live in godly success. He wants to maximize the potential that is in you. So come on just lift your hands by faith this morning. And just lift your hands by faith. I want you to receive this morning by faith a spiritual empowering that is uniquely designed by the almighty God to bring you into a greater purpose into a new place in this season and so I speak prophetically over your life in the name of Jesus that in this season you'll see a manifestation of God's divine success over your life that things in your family will begin to shake in the name of Jesus in your community it will begin to shake in the name of Jesus for God has put a mark on you this morning and he's bringing to the fore the untapped potential the songs and the books and the stories and the testimonies and the sermons and the outworkings of the gift of the spirit that as you lay your hands on sick they will be healed and give you utterance of word of wisdom and word of knowledge And as the disciples were gathered in the upper room and the scripture said and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. But the scripture said you will receive an endowment of power and you'll be my witnesses. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that that endowment of power may rest and indwell the people of God today those online and those in this building right now in the name of Jesus that will shift the dynamic spiritually in families and communities that there will be an elevation in their worship and in their praise come on just with your hands lifted it's a lot I receive this by faith thank you Lord we thank you we thank you thank you for the confirmation of your word Come on, just lift your hands and worship Him. Storm walls are still being loosed. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. Wonders are still what you do. Tell me 